This is One Heat Minute. Drop of a hat, these guys will rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. Look like gangbangers working the local 7-Eleven. Robbery homicides take you. Give me all you got! Listen. Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. And joining me again is, look, he's pretty much the premier Michael Mann expert in, you know, in the entire sort of film critical world. He's the man who's still punching for Black Hat. Uh, He's probably one of the world's best and funniest film critics. And um, I think it was, which Transformers film is it before I mention your name, sir, was just uh, basically one line written over and over again famously in the voice in a a tiny tiny little uh, blurb corridor there. It was, um, I I believe you're thinking of Transformers The Last Night. Yes. He literally wrote my favorite review ever of a Transformers film. Um, this is the legendary Bilga Ibiri coming back for an episode of One Eight Minute. Bilga, welcome back to the show. I am very, very happy to be here. <laughs> so we have had a, a, a conversation to end all conversations prior to the podcast. So we're going to dive right in. Um, we, did, we did tease on your last episode that there was the potential for you to come back and then I said I'd love you if you could come back um, onto the show for this minute which is Van Zant getting his comeuppance the <laughs> 90 let's have a look this is the 123rd minute of Michael Mann's 1995 Chrome Opus right now if you are freeze framed on 2 hours and 2 minutes uh, of the original theatrical version of Heat on Warner Brothers Blu-ray you're seeing Robert De Niro peek up and be sort of a a semi-visible silhouette to this beautiful um, LA skyline and then rolling down into the hills and the sea of lights. The All this iridescent algae uh, <laughs> stuff that he was talking about earlier is, is what he's standing in front of. And we're about to see Paul Van Zandt sitting around in his poor jumper, um, uh, unawares, watching hockey, the only person watching hockey in LA. And, uh, and here we go. We're about to see it. So before we dive into an awesome conversation again with Bill, we're going to watch this minute really quickly. You guys are going to listen to it, and then we're going to come back and talk about it. Where is he? Where is he? How the hell would I know? There it is. All right. What a great minute. What a great minute. There's so much to unpack in that minute. Um, the first yeah, thing I'll I say, mean, the first thing I'll say is, 
this is the moment De Niro peeking up above that hill and just sort of silently observing is the moment where I think of the line, like, have there been any Highline burglaries that have mystified us? Like, it's the moment where he just sort of effortlessly gets onto this property, sneaks on, he's completely unawares. He's still in his suit, you know, so he's not, you know, but he's just so aware of just how to, to continue to be unseen, even in the dead of night at this property. Well, it's kind of when we start to, I mean, I mean, we've obviously seen his skill set throughout the movie, but this is when we realize, oh, right, this guy's a thief. Like, you know, like this guy is, and, and it's, it's also interesting. I mean, this part is kind of a little bit before, before this moment. So you might've talked about it already, but you know, like so much of the first half of the film, he's, you know, he's in these spaces. He's kind of like immersed in these spaces. He's very cool. He's very calm. You know, there are these like kind of very composed little rooms that he's in. He's very still. And now after the, you know, after the, just the, the, the clusterfuck of the shootout and everything, you know, now you start to see him like he's, he's a little bit outside. I mean, you know, he's, he's like crawling up hills and stuff. Like this is not, this is not something we're familiar with No. because it also, similar thing happens with Edie, you know, like when they're like going up that hill, like, like something very elemental starts to happen where he's like, he's like in nature suddenly. Right. Which is not a thing that he is throughout this movie. Like usually he's just like staring out of windows or in cars or whatever um and suddenly he's like you know crawling up hills sneaking around behind bushes like it becomes a whole thing um so that's like we start to see that right this is like he's actually kind of reverting back to who he probably is at heart you know like person who sneaks around and who isn't a part of this like world of you know immaculately arranged (laughs) apartments and you know windows and stuff um so yeah, it's it's really interesting to see him to see him do that, um, and uh, I mean you know. And they have the, the it's it's that weird. It's also and it's that what comes with that sort of animalistic sort of urge that you're talking about is this impulse to also strike fear, because yeah. in this moment, like he's he's made people be scared before, but like often in 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 action so like the whole wayne grow thing he smacks his head around and that's really early really early in the film he's more of a shock like it's just him getting out of frustration let's get rid of this guy give him his money and so the surprise of the actual we're going to kill you that's what strikes the most fear into wayne grow wayne grow escapes because of that just you know that unlucky passing of a cop car but in this moment he sees van sant he's already snuck onto the property he's that you know light-footed thief who knows his way around a dark place he could and this is what i've started to think about as you said that is he could totally have snuck into that house and broken in wouldn't wouldn't have taken him long but once he sees that van zandt's alone and he really wants to strike the fear it's like almost like pre-preparing for a a scary interrogation he just smashes the window like it's like it's sort of this weird antithesis it's like i'm going to sneak quietly under this property i'm going to make sure no one's around and then i'm going to smash this window in this huge loud clang to to strike as much fear into you as possible because when i'm going to ask you this question you better believe you're going to answer me yeah yeah and it's it's like as as I was thinking about this scene, I also you know really started thinking about Van Zant, and, and like when you start to think about Van Zant, you you get a clearer picture. I feel like of of the structure of Heat and how idiosyncratic it is because you know if you watched only the first thirty minutes of Heat, 
you would probably walk away from it thinking that you know Van Zant was the main villain of this movie. Yes. Right? I mean, I mean, because because the way the film is structured, and this is you know, this, I think, also speaks to the fact that a lot of us, when we first saw Heat, you know, as, as much as we enjoyed it and as much as we liked it, we were kind of like, it's a little weird. It doesn't quite seem like another movie, like all the other movies that that we've seen, because it's not. You know, because it, it, I mean, it has like great scenes, right? It has the opening heist that kind of like, kind of goes wrong, doesn't quite go wrong. But then it has the whole thing with Van Zant and they're setting him up. And he's, he's, you know, he seems like this slick corporate villain type. Yes. And he's very smug. He's, you know, he's sitting in his office very casually saying, you know, like when Henry Rollins says, you're going to deal with these guys. And he's, you know, Van Zant is very casual and, oh, no, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill him. You know, he's like, you know, get me the whatever papers. Like he's just completely very casual. He's very full of himself. He's very sure that, with all his power and his money, that this is just like a you know a guy that he can just kind of flick away. It's a blip right? on the radar. A blip on the radar. It's a blip on the. But you think like the movie feels like it's almost setting up, like you're thinking, oh yeah, yeah, he's totally not going to be able to do that. In the next two hours, is going to be like robert de niro at war with william fichtner which is totally not what the movie is about right and 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 so and and like the 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 van zandt story kind of just pulls away a little bit every once in a while something happens and it totally makes sense the way i mean the way michael mann tells it this is of course classic michael mann the way he structures it is no this is just another thing that's happening that they have to deal with they're actually still going on they've got other heists to pull there's all this other shit going on and this guy is just one small part of this whole you know um you know this this fresco yes. of you know of of la underworld that i've that i've drawn but hello that's my cat again um <laughs> but uh <laughs> um i'm trying to tell if she agrees or disagrees with me but you know i love how you know the, the journey of van zandt and william fickner throughout this movie is he goes from that smug guy and then we see him like uh, in the hotel room, or not? He's, he's in his office, but it's like the the blinds are drawn, blind, and he's yeah, like it's, sitting it's, there. It's, it's no longer it's no longer a, a pristine eighties eighties slash nineties early nineties douchebag office in LA. Yeah. It's it's a squat. Yeah. He's got Chinese food yeah. boxes like on, on the con- on the couch. He's got a sheet. He's wearing the same clothes. He's unshaven. He's unkempt. His eyes look like they're bulging out of his head. Um, it's it's he's a completely different guy. And Neil's just like yeah. Van Zant. That's just another problem. He doesn't yeah. care. <laughs> this guy's being tortured, and he's like, oh, he's just another. He's I'm gonna whack Van Zant. That's gonna happen later. We've got three things to yeah. do here guys come on and it's 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 great because i mean that that scene of him in his like little squat with like just like stacks of paper everywhere i mean how long has he been there like he does not actually take place over that long a period of time they've clearly played up just how much like stacks of paper in there and all those Chinese food boxes like you know you're hiding like you don't like you can take the trash out like it's not like they, they, they've you're totally allowed to let that. the cleaners in you're allowed to let the yeah. cleaners in as, as long as put it garbage you have a garbage can you know <laughs> like henry rollins is there he can take out the garbage but, you but know I, but i think you just nailed something so great which is like and this might be just part of that emotional trajectory that man ma- is mapping out this sort of in- idiosyncratic structure as you're talking about is like when neil's focus is a hundred percent on something we yeah. dive into it and yeah. when it's not it it they have to do the the limited amount that they need to, to get 
to keep us curious as to why this is bubbling, like why that why that thing is simmering on that other on that other um, uh, uh, plate on the stove, and then bang, you're into the the main meal is Neil. Like wherever he is focused, that's where the story is. And so I think it's this weird. It's weird, but right right now, like all the focus, like Van Zant. He's just led straight from Treo. First it's Treo, then it's Van Sant. Like, he, he has to say the words, he has to assure himself, and then, like, Neil's granular focus is on that. And, of course, Vincent is, you know, myopic for Neil. So it's like yeah, you, you sort of get to follow him. Everything's happening just like that one step behind or one step ahead. It's so it's, – uh, it's really, really cool. What do you yeah. think, what do you think about it's, him it's, being the guy who's watching hockey in this room? What do you think about this like is, is 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 that a is that another man like poking fun at sort of like this weird east coast guy in you know cuz again it's an you know an east coast sport I thought really. Uh I mean hockey I mean I'm assuming that I'm pretty sure there was hockey in the west coast as well but I mean like hockey at least back then I think of it and I don't know I don't know if my perception of hockey is as um is as um you know like my perception of hockey might not actually be the correct perception of hockey (laughs) at the time and it might not necessarily be i mean because michael mann's from chicago it might not be his perception of hockey like i I know it's a much bigger deal in the midwest but um you know like hockey was like the one totally uncool sport back then yes right i mean (laughs) he could be watching basketball if he's in la he'd be watching basketball you know um football baseball like why is he watching hockey i mean it might be that man has this whole backstory of him as kind of this like guy from you know minnesota or whatever but um but yeah it is weird like it's, I, I keep noticing that he's watching hockey i was like who the fuck in heat would watch hockey? <laughs> that's, you know? that's what i kept thinking i'm like this like again this la this la story why is he watching hockey and like and and obviously he's he's in this sort of um, he's in his sweats. He's finally relaxed. He's watching hockey. His feet are up. You know, he's in this opulent, beautiful view. He's watching this, and it's like that's the one thing that sticks out. I'm like, why is he watching hockey? This guy. That's a, that's another. Yeah, po- I mean, maybe that's a whole other podcast. What what characters were watching a sport you just didn't that absolutely didn't make sense at all yeah. in the movie? And it is interesting how he is kind of relaxed. It's almost like he's out of the game. You know, like he's yes. he's he's kind of exited. You know, I mean, there's that great scene early on, you know, where where De Niro's on the phone and he says, you know, who who am I talking to? I'm talking. I'm talking. What am I doing? I'm talking to an empty telephone. You know, because there's a dead man on the other side of this fucking line. And again, like that's one of those things that feels like it's going to be like this big thing. And then we see Van Zant like two more times. That's it. You yeah. know, like the one time when he's in the, you know, when he's in the squat, as you said. <laughs> and then now, you know, like he's 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 become you know, completely an afterthought. Yes. And he's the you know, guy who was like, seemed so powerful and controlling at the beginning is now completely an afterthought. And even in this scene, he's kind of an afterthought because I mean, remember De Niro, like or Neil made this promise to kill him. Yes. So at this point, it seems like he would be basically there to back up his promise of killing him. But no, he just wants to know where Wayne grow is. Yeah. You know, like, even so, yeah, it's he's not even bothered. Like Wango now is the is this towering villain that you're talking about. Like you know, he's like Wango's the guy. Wango's the guy yeah. who's the the architect, and Van Sant's the afterthought. 
And it's so great that you said he's the afterthought because it's so true because even in the delivery, and this is what's so great about Figgy's performance, delivery's like, how the hell should I know? Like, the the line read there is sublime because it's true. It's like, you knew he was outmatched. That phenomenal scene where he says he's on the empty, you know, he's on the other end of an empty telephone, that moment that he realizes that he's completely outmatched, it just it just resonates all the way through to his core in this moment. He thinks it's all done. He's out. He's paid Wango off. They've done whatever. He's washing his hands of it. He's happy to just sit there and watch hockey. But as soon as yeah. Neil like clangs and reminds him, I'm still here. It's like I'm I, I have no answer for you. I have no idea. Yeah. I'm I'm out. I, I'm so out of my depth that you may as well just kill me because it's done. Yeah, he's he's gone from the guy who thought he knew everything to the guy who, who's like, like, why the fuck would I know where the guy I hired is? You know, like I'm so out of this. <laughs> like, just, you know, the, kill me now the, because the, there's never really been, I am done. There's never like, and that's a great trope in like. There's so many of these like badass corporate villains who hire these you know guys, and you've seen them you know where's this guy where's this guy and you see people get you know in all the it's like a you know that archetype or that trope that they find the sort of continuously move like a a level up to each each next one in the chain he's meant to be the top of the chain who knows everything that's going on he's like i got no idea i got i got no idea and yeah such a great little spot yeah and william fickner is such a great actor i mean it's it's you know i mean he does I was actually going to do this before we did the podcast and I didn't get a chance to, but I was actually going to tally up how many minutes of heat he's actually in. Um, And it's probably like five, you know, like it's probably like five or six minutes. And, but he, but he, you know, he makes a pretty great impression. um, I would say, I would say three minutes he's in the movie. Three minutes. Yeah, I, I mean, I you would know. I reckon conservatively, I, and, I'll, and I, I will come back. I'm going to actually, because we've got a few weeks before this uh, before this show airs from when we're recording it. So um, I will make sure that in the description, um, I'm not going to know this second, but in the description, and I might even edit it in now. Yeah. Uh, in the description, um, uh, and, and hopefully you just heard then, I'm guessing because his opening scene with Rollins there's a whole minute pretty much with Wangro, and, yeah. and the opening scenes with Rollins are only like clusters of seconds. They're like 10 seconds here when he's talking to Nate. So that's like about 30 seconds, then a minute, um, and then essentially now, and which is, you know, sort of 30 seconds. So it's like it would be three minutes that he's in this movie, but he definitely makes an impression. You know, so much of an impression yeah. that Chris Nolan was like, oh, he's the, like, he's the slimy bank guy that I need in my Heat movie that I'm making <laughs> with Batman. <laughs> Well, that's the other thing is like, you know, we always talk about how how much, you know, the, the opening heist in the Dark Knight is influenced by heat. And like if you watch th- those the heists in heat and the heists in the Dark Knight, they have almost nothing in common. No, nothing. <laughs> like William Fickner is the one thing in common that that's they have. It. Um, and that and the fact that they kind of like take over the whole thing. But but there's no like in terms of the way the things develop. I mean, the masks are different. It's just the whole way. There's no. You know, like the team in in the Dark Knight is completely disposable. Like yeah. the Joker kills everybody, um, and but like somehow the presence of William Fickner, who's basically playing him, like he's basically playing an extension of Van Zant. There, he's kind of like um, he's like Van Zant if Van Zant was doing as many weights as Henry Rollins's character. Like it's like that kind of yeah. both. Like the Van Zant that's in this movie, and to your point, it's like the Van Zant that's in this movie would never touch a gun. 
This guy didn't even yeah, want to leave yeah, his no, office. He's petrified. Yeah. Whereas the Van Sant in that movie is like a mob guy. He's like, yeah. whoops that big shotgun out. He wants to sort of take take down this gang. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. completely, no, completely but, different. But there is this kind of like, do you know who you're messing with kind of thing? <laughs> yes. And William Fickner is so good at that sort of thing because he looks, you know, like he looks so scrawny. Yeah. And yet he has this very sort of intense face. So you have the I mean, but but like he's, I mean, I've, I've watched him over the years and all sorts of things. But, you know, he's not an actor I think of as having what we traditionally think of as range. Like he's not a guy who does these parts that are dramatically different from each other. You know, he doesn't like, you know, transform. He's always kind of playing some variation on William Fickner, yes. you know, and, and which is which is what movie stars do. And he's not. You know, he's not really a movie star. I mean, he's a guy. He's a that guy. He's a classic character. <laughs> he's a classic that guy. Um, yeah, like, but, 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 you know, he's kind of always doing variations on himself. He doesn't like change his voice dramatically. Um, he doesn't, you know. I mean, he might don like a mustache or something, but he's not like this guy. You know, it's not like somebody. Well, like, it wasn't he, in the Lone Ranger. He wore some scars on his face. I think that was. But he was still yeah. William Fickner with scars on his face, essentially. Yeah, he was basically. Uh, yeah, he was basically William Fickner. You know, <laughs> now he's the Lone Ranger's nemesis. Um, and so, like, that's one of the things I love about William Fickner is that every time you see him, there's something very comfort comforting about seeing him. Oh yeah, William Fickner's in this. We're in good hands. You know. Like, um, <laughs> you know, at least he'll be good. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting how much, I mean, he fits perfectly into the world of Heat. They all do. I mean, all the characters, all the actors in, in Heat fit perfectly. But, um, but it is interesting to watch him and watch just how much he has to do. Like, you know, of all the characters, I mean, aside from the main ones, Van Zant has the most striking arc. You know, yes. like in terms of where he starts and where he ends. That dude goes through, you know, just a whole lifetime of, you know, absolute, you know, devastation. Yeah, um, and it's, it's also been, you know, there's something, even in just the decoration of his office, I, mm-hmm. I love is like, there's an insulation to the world. You know, there's a mm-hmm. striking LA, you know, right now as we're recording, it's nice and hot in Sydney, but you're in a building that's got air conditioning, these big windows, you're outside of the heat, you're in this yeah. beautiful suit, you've got all this weird you know, international sort of artwork and, 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 and hides of African animals decorated into things. He's so insulated and, and he continues to think that money is there, but he's operating in such a different world. It's like this white collar crime world suddenly Mm -hmm. comes clashing into like the harsh reality of like, you know, functioning crooks and professionals who are willing to kill you. And he's just so, it hasn't been gradual. As you said, like the, the, uh, I think Connor Ratliff, who was on the show, talked about his theory is like, oh, this is the last seven days of Neil McCauley's life. Yeah, I heard that. Con- Connor's a Connor's a very smart dude. I, I I heard that. I listened to that podcast. I'm I'm not. I'm trying to see. Like, I'm not sure he's right, but it's it's entirely possible that it's been structured in that way. Exactly. Yeah. Like, so I'm, whether it's whether it's exact or whether it's structure, I just like to say like it's the the time. The time that he's on screen to do what he needs to do, and the time that that arc needs to happen, Fickner's just perfect. Like he's perfect in yeah. every one of those segments. I actually think part of the best, you know, he's usually that heavy guy. Now he's that sort of grating. He's meant to have that sort of like tough guy face, even though he's, as you see, he's got that sort of lean body. Um, I 
I like him when he's the more vulnerable guy, the guy that that, that looks like he should be tough but isn't. And that's what, the, yeah. what makes Van Zandt, I think, so memorable is that these scenes where he thinks that he's meant to be the guy but he's not the guy. That's that's a great yeah. that's a that's a good one. That's a good part. That's a yeah. good little corridor of his performance range there. Yeah, he's able to he's able to kind of do every one of those like because he starts off as this sort of, you know, slick It's Gordon Gecko. You know, he's Gordon Gecko in in the first minute of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, first minute he's Gordon Gecko and then he becomes kind of like and then he becomes like, you know, sort of this menacing guy and then he's like terrified and then, you know, suddenly he's Howard Hughes then, hanging out with like then he's, you know then, the, he's, then he's Henry Hill. He's like Gordon Gecko. Yeah. The next time we see him, he's Henry Hill from Goodfellas. Yeah, There's exactly. helicopters. He's, he's Henry Hill. He's just paranoid. Um, and yeah. then the final one, I don't know. I don't know who he is. He looks like Jason Segel or something like in sweats yeah. watching hockey. Well, he's just like he's like you know I've done my part. I'm done. You know, like Wayne Grow has you know dealt done his thing. I am. You know, my money insulates me still from this whole thing. These guys have much bigger... Like, that's the other thing, is that he probably assumes that, you know, given what's happened with the shootout and the, the you know, the heist and everything, he is the last person anybody should be caring about at this point. And, right? and, and I think it's... And for him, he feels... I think you you nailed it. It's like he feels that there's no way that he's even a thought on anyone's lips. Not cops, not crooks. The heist in and of itself, like he feels like he's a tangent. He's an anonymous phone call. It wasn't him. It wasn't, you know, Wayne Grove's giving him the tip. It's Hugh Benny. It's anonymous. It's just outside the cycle. And yeah. even I think what's cool, and I just got reminded just saying that to you, is like Hugh Benny's known by the cops. They know he's an informant. So like maybe Van Zant's known by the cops too, like in a roundabout yeah. way. He's probably a little bit less of an afterthought than he really knows, but he's so small time that it's like, uh, he's all right. We're not going to worry too much about him. He's not going to get up. Yeah, too much there's issue. no. I, I don't think there's any. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's no, uh, you know, ensuing scene where anybody's like, "Oh my god, you know, I just found out Van Zant died." You know, like <laughs> nobody. Cares. He's, just, he's gone. You know, he's gone. Wangro doesn't care. Hugh Benny yeah. certainly doesn't care. He couldn't give a rat's. Like he doesn't. He doesn't mind what's what's been going on. That's great. Yeah. There's no. There's no scene of Al Pacino learning that Van Zant has died or anything like that. It's just like you know, everybody's off. You know, like fuck this guy. Who cares about him? <laughs> okay, and the thing about it, he could have. He could have. He could have just paid them for his. You know, like he, he could have been out of this thing. Oh, he could have made a profit. He could have been clean. You. He could be alive. Thank you. you. Know? That's exactly what I was just going to say. I was hoping that we would get to it, and I'm so glad that we did. It's like all he had to do is be like that's how you get your foot into the door with these guys. Nate's right. Like he's a businessman. He claims the insurance. If you want to be a crook, you claim the insurance. You don't get into the violence. You pay it. It's good. It wasn't meant to take offense. We were robbing something that you're going to get paid 100% on the insurance and then 60% back to get what you need. Here it is. Yeah. He was going to make money. All you instead had to do... Instead, he died. <laughs> instead, he died. He's dead. Instead, you're dead, and no one cares. Like, no one's calling you. You've got this huge house that seemingly no one's in. Oh, man. Yeah. And that is actually, um, you know, that also speaks to, at the same time, I mean, this scene also speaks to the fact that, at this point, Neil is obsessed with Wayne Grove. Oh, yeah. You know, like, I, I, I mean, the fact that he would, at this point, like, that's what he wants to do, is get, get Wayne Grove. You know, that's that's like that tells you kind of 
where Neil's mentality, like where Neil's head is going at this point. Um, because it, I think it's before this, right? It's before this. Um, I, you'd know better than I would. Um, where John Voigt kind of tells him, listen, you know, this is not a thing you need to worry about um, in terms of where Wayne Grow is, right? Yeah. Or is it after? So it's it's a little it's a little bit after because he's what we've seen so far of Neil is um and and we've seen Neil and Chris get healed up. We've seen um well like a, attempt to be healed. We've seen Neil go to Treo's because at that point he feels the betrayal from Treo and you see him yeah. like grind gr- like ready and he's getting himself arced back up you know first he's you know very empathetic about chris and he's trying to get that solved and get them back out of there and he's still a bit paranoid about how what their out's gonna be and then he eventually gets to Treo's house and there's a great there is a almost transformational moments in the movie where he takes all this like you know this haze of like what the hell happened and how did it get this bad and thinks that Treo's the betrayer to he then he's like sorry for Treo and he gives him you know you know sort of mercy kills him and gives him that survival but then when he goes out of there he's like nostril flaring just ready to kill Wangro like he doesn't the, yeah. the out almost feels like it disappears for a brief moment in this second because we've just now in the preceding minute seen Hugh Benny be taken down by Vincent. So they're like, went and found him. How did you know about Macaulay? Like taking him out. Um, and that great Al Pacino throwing the stunt double through the plate glass window. Um, we've seen that minute just happen. And, yeah. and, and now it's we're also here. great. Because the, I mean, the, the sight of Al Pacino, you know, throwing somebody the size of Henry Rollins. Through a plate <laughs> it's just really? perfect. That was, it, oh my God. It's absolutely great. But look, it does to, to, to Pacino's credit, when he's got a hold of that guy's face, like when he's got his face, like he's really giving it, he's really giving it something. And uh, even Rollins, there's a great article in an interview saying that, you know, Pacino was an absolute sweetheart, um, you know, uh, on set with him and, and they had a really great time, even though he, his job was to grab him by the face and pull his hair and throw him around a bit. So, um, but yeah, so no, right now there's been no, they have no out. Neil's not even concerned yeah. with that. It's like the first and foremost, Van Zandt's got to die. Oh, sorry, Van Zandt's got to die because I need to know where Wango is. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, and, and you know, the, and this is kind of—I mean, we we talked about this last time. I mean, there are all these various steps in the movie where um, where Neil himself could save himself, could step away. I mean, oh. we talked about this last. But like, why are you having like? Why you you just had coffee with the heat? You know, like you <laughs> the whole thing the heat. Escape, you know, get, get the hell out of there. And it's like the heat just bought you a cup of coffee. But there are all these moments where, you know, he could just step away and, and get away from this whole thing. And he, you know, you know, this whole final, I guess it's the final act of the movie is basically him becoming obsessed with Wango, which ultimately is, you know, what takes him down, you know. Um, so that's, I think... You know, so so I think we're starting to see, you know, we're starting to see the film kind of work that emotional through line here as well. Yeah, it's, um, and and all, it's, I think you're so right is because before we didn't have the clarity that the out was so close. I think what makes it really powerful is that we're seeing the obsession rise, but the but the as we're seeing the obsession rise, we're seeing his him so close to the exit. Like, you're just like, you're so close. Yeah. At every single turn, at every single decision, and every single action that has then reverberating consequences, it's like you are that much closer 
to getting through this. You are that much closer to just getting out. Like, and Vincent, and again, credit to Pacino's performance, like keeping us, you know, incrementally moving closer and closer and catching up to Neil is like, so many times he's like, he's gone. 48 hours, he's gone. Like, he's like, it's that great. It doesn't, it doesn't become over the top because of the way that the story is sort of um, starting to weave all these different threads together and weave these characters together. But it's like, you're so close. All you need to do is this next bit. And, yeah. and we haven't even started talking about that we finally, at the very end of this minute, get to be reintroduced back to the amazing Ashley Judd as, uh, as Charlene Chehalis, nursing Dominic, yeah. and Hank Azaria, the absolute... <laughs> The absolute wonderful douchebag um, uh, with her as well. Um, you know, th- these are we're seeing Neil's obsession and we're seeing the fallout in real time. Yeah, and and Neil's obsession is trumping is trumping all that fallout right now. We just get to see him for a few seconds and and some of the the other amazing threads that need to close up in this story before the end. Yeah. Well, I mean, and and it's, it, I mean that that uh, obviously we're just seeing the beginning of that scene um of that i mean it intercuts with with a lot of things so it's not like one scene really but you know um you know charlene and dominic and them entering into that room where all the cops are and with the you know with the back and forth with you know mike drucker and all that i mean it's um there is so much going i mean you're gonna go you're gonna go through that minute by minute with other people but you know like my chance here's my chance to chime in on it there's so much going on in that scene because ultimately like what happens there is you know that like obsession that um chris has for charlene like chris is the one who's able to let it go yes right um like you have Neil fixated on Wayne Grow, and he can never get away from that, and it kills him. And you have Char, you know, you have Chris, who is, I mean, as it's established in the first, you know, twenty minutes of the movie that he's, you know, the, the sun rises and sets with her. I mean, he is absolutely gone for her, and she is everything to him. And you know, his, you know, she has his son. Yes. Um, and he's able to walk away from that. You know, that that moment where she, I mean, she effectively liberates him by, by saying that. And she by, gives by him permission. Him. I was just going to say, she gives yeah. him permission with one of the greatest yeah. gestures and heartbreaking moments of the entire yeah. movie is that, 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 I mean, it is the greatest close-up of a limb in the history of cinema. <laughs> you know, like, there's, there's, I can't think of anything else that comes even remotely close no. um how loaded and... how loaded it is how loaded yeah. just the and the the and that's where the editing and the whole team of the incredible editors um that worked on yeah. this show that uh, on this film rather like the editing is just so amazing because it's so slow and so languid, and there's not even really a, barely a cut as we sort of establish that Chris is there, and then the interplay of the cuts that happen all the way yeah. till the connection, and yeah. just like frame by frame and second by second. Oh man, there's so much good stuff, so much good stuff to yeah. talk about. And for people who are listening to the show, for people who are listening to the show, uh, a, a an Academy Award nominated filmmaker and editor. Luke Doolan, um, who edited uh, Animal Kingdom, um, the Australian film. He's an Australian editor. 
he is he's already recorded that episode, so you can look forward to him talking about it and him gushing about heat and um, specifically this moment. He actually lives in Venice Beach um, and was oh, wow. and, and was like, I think I know that basketball court. So like um, when we were talking about it, so it was recorded some time ago. But um, for you guys to to keep listening because that's yeah, it was an an amazing minute to yep. talk to him about. But th- yeah, her her performance. I mean. We're in award season right now, Bilga. How how does Ashley Judd not get nominated for best supporting actor, um, a female actor for this movie? Like, I and mean, it's just unbelievable. It's 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 just catastrophic. I mean, I, I mean, I, again, this film didn't have the kind of awards life that I think some people thought it would, um, and that's just you know the way sometimes it is. But um, you know, she is. Uh, that um, again, just the, that gesture, the way that gesture is cut, you know, her, him looking up at her. Yes. The the expression on her face, that like tender, pitying, angry, like the, the, the like all the, the expression on her face, the cut to the hand, the way that his face just kind of dies. I know I'm getting into someone else's <laughs> minute here, but I got to do. This. Um, but like that. I mean, I don't even know how many seconds, because that's not a minute. That's that's just a few seconds. Yeah. You can, like, if cinema didn't exist, you could recreate cinema with that series of cuts. Like, yeah. that's right there. It's like, <laughs> that's what it's about. Like, that is the, this is what this art form can do, including the, the music cut, like, the, including the music in that comes in right there, yeah. right after she, you know, waves them off. And, um, and I yeah. think... Like, that's, you can recreate the art form with that. It's And the uncredited... You know, again, talking about like Kilmer, but how he's able to drain his life out of his face in a yeah. split second, like it's just, it, it's 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 the guy that he does still look quite beaten up, but when he smiles, it's that brightness that comes back, and you're like, oh, there he is, there's Chris, this Chris we've seen in the whole movie, and then he may as well just be back on that table. Having you yeah. know Jeremy Piven and Robert De Niro tinker with his clavicle bone um, on a table without really any any uh, pain relief um, because he's completely gone and then just and the I I love her fallout performance no nah, it's not him and she just walks back yeah. in and sits down cool like yeah. externally cool and then watching the torment sort of come come over and the realizations that you know she's cooperated and what that still might mean for Dominic, what that still might mean for her, but at least she's, as you said, that liberating. She's literally cutting him off, like, you're done. It's done. Yeah. Get out of here. It's, uh, it's just uh, it's, it's heartbreaking, and, um, and it really, I mean, we, we keep talking about how he's the one who survives, but he really kind of dies in that oh, moment. I mean, absolutely. Like, yeah. Absolutely. And after all this time of you thinking, after all this time of you thinking that he was deaf to Neil's discipline, he did it. Yeah, but he still yeah, died. Exactly. He still died, though. Yeah, that's the but, tragedy. It's like that. The discipline is still tragic. Yeah, I mean, he sticks to he sticks ultimately to the plan. Yes, um, yes. He, a little belatedly. Yes, he sticks to the plan. But 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 uh, but fucking Macaulay <laughs> you know, has to go <laughs> kill Wayne Grow. Um, you know, but uh, yeah, no, it's it's uh, it is interesting how you know the film. I mean, we've talked about this, but and uh, you've obviously talked about it with lots of people. But like the, the the way the film is structured, with just kind of going from scene to scene to scene to scene to subplot to subplot to subplot, and there is this kind of. It doesn't have the kind of forward momentum that a typical crime thriller would have, right? Yes. Or even a heist movie, right? I mean, a heist movie. 
like the pleasures of a heist movie are, you know, you get to see them plan the thing, you get to see them test the thing, you get to see them try and solve various problems. He has none of that. Nope. Like, he is the ultimate heist movie and has none of that shit. <laughs> none of the shit. It's like, it's there like, is it's no like, Ocean's, there is no Ocean's Eleven in hate at all. At all. There's nothing. No, none of that. You know, it's like uh, it's like if Michael Mann made a submarine movie and it was all people hanging out on a beach. You know, like it's <laughs> it's got none of the things that you would expect from a heist movie, um, and yet we think of it as like the pinnacle of heist movies. Yeah. And and but, but what makes it work so well is, you know, watching this structure. You know, kind of it ambles along, right? It goes from scene to scene to scene. There's no kind of we're not thinking, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? There isn't a lot of, like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next in the movie. It just kind of, like, just pulls you along very gradually. And there's this kind of cumulative effect of all these characters and their lives and their emotions. And we start to care about them. So that by the end, you like, there is an incredible amount of forward momentum by the end. Not because, you know, the plot is, like, you know, kicking into high gear, but suddenly we care about these people so much yes and and that's like that's the magic of of this movie and that's the magic i think of a number of michael mann movies where he's you know he confounds your expectations and yet somehow delivers on your expectations on the back end right yeah. so that you know we've been watching this thing unravel for so long um that you know, at this point, we're like completely wrapped up in the suspense of like what's going to happen to everybody. And even here at this point, I mean, again, I'm getting into someone else's minute, but you know, like we haven't really thought about Dominic, right? I mean, Dominic is like no. mentioned once. We hear him screaming in the background at some point, and yet, like this whole next scene kind of turns on what's going to happen to Dominic. Yeah, and it's so beautiful. It's so beautifully done. And 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 Drucker bringing Dominic back to the fore. You know, yeah. using him as like, this is, uh, and the heist movie, to talk about momentum and structure, when the heist happens in the movie, that's the celebration. We're seeing the execution. Yeah. We go to yeah. our fountain in Vegas. We check out the lovely fountain. We, we yeah. listen to some beautiful, uh, beautifully chosen score and we get the hell out of here. We just walk out. Yeah. Where to learn whatever, see ya. I'm out of here. Yeah. And in heat it's like no there are some serious consequences for an f up like this like the consequences yeah. are real and so as we're sprawling like through the subplots and going through scene to scene i just think it's the mounting consequence like you're just going jesus like this is just no one is untouched by this like it, when it when it happens yeah. perfectly seemingly you know i'm a businessman you know you can get your money back insurance whatever you know no one gets hurt except for big business you know it's that it's that like uh highfalutin you know thought oh you know there won't be a big impact here but that's what i love so much about this movie i think is exactly what you're saying is you then go to every person who's going to get squeezed to get the information that they need to and everyone is going through this you know catastrophic you know catastrophic life choices and there is fallout all over the place and then once that all happens it just funnels into that last scene it funnels into the power of like the minute you see that last, you know, moment where Neil looks at Edie and makes the choice. Yeah. You're funneled into all of the fallout of the scene and then it's just it's just Vincent and Neil. And you're like Yeah. This is this is it this is everything. You know, it's got all the yeah. weight of everything that we've seen in all of this is all funneling to that. Yeah, and um Yeah, and, and there's that you know there's, I mean, when Mike, Mike Drucker talks about Dominic, you know, talks about Gladiator Academy, that's a line that comes up 
often in Michael Mann movies. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's like, there are all these, like, classic kind of, they're lines, but sometimes they're thoughts, so the line is a little different. But, you know, time is luck, right? Yeah. Uh, but the Gladiator Academy thing is just as common, just as prevalent. And it really is, you know, the film kind of promises that if things go bad for her and for Chris, that Dominic is going to wind up basically becoming one of these guys. Yes. You know, he's going to become, and he's probably not going to become, you know, Neil McCauley. He's probably, you know, going to become... <laughs> Poor Don Braden. Braden. He's going to be driving yeah, a car. Exactly. He's going to be driving a yeah, car. Yeah, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's really at that point you kind of realize this is, this is a whole cycle, which is why I think it'll be interesting, you know, to read a Heat prequel. Yes. You know? And why I loved your thought in I don't remember which episode, but the, the thought you had that um, that Widows is kind of like a sequel to Heat. Yes. Right? That yes. Was you, yeah. right? No. No. Like, yeah. It was, so, I guess I guess on the show it was like no Widows is a sequel to Heat. Is what happens is what happens if all the if all the uh, the wives of all these guys don't there's no yeah. fallout they just have to get together and go on the next heist. Yeah, I mean that's that you could do that you could you could make a sequel to Heat that would basically be Widows, but it would be you know. Amy Brenneman, Ashley Judd, like all these people, you know, all, yeah. like we met the spouses. They could get together and, you know, um, but it is it is interesting, like the film, because it creates this world and creates this, you know, creates it so vividly, you really start to think about what happens beyond beyond the limits of the frame. Yes. Right. I mean, Macaulay's dead, obviously, but but, you know, you start to think you know, what does happen to Dominic? What does happen to Ashley Judd? You know? Um, and, and, do, and, do, and does Chris yeah. become Nate? Does Chris just grow his hair out and become Nate in a bar somewhere in Austin, Texas and running yeah, cruise, exactly. you know, like, um, exactly. yeah. with it, with a cha- with a changed name, with a changed name, no longer Christian Hales. <laughs> Guys, perfect to say there is a heat prequel novel coming out. Um, and, uh, before, uh, uh, before I let Bill go, he's 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 familiar with the Michael Mann book uh, publishing company and has uh, caught a glimpse of the first book uh, from Michael Mann books. And so um, we'll be staying in touch with Bill behind the scenes to see how that all goes because uh, Reed Coleman, um, who co-authored the Heat prequel novel um, with Michael Mann, um, the, that's going to be delivered later this year. So um, if, if people are listening now, 2019... Later this year, there's going to be a heat prequel novel, and we're hoping that Reed's going to come onto the One Heat Minute podcast, and also maybe even the man himself um, to talk more heat because you know that completes the completes the universe. We've got the prequel novel uh, uh, in discussion. Um, no spoilers, of course. If we ever do talk to Reed, we want you guys to read along. There will not be a One Heat prequel novel minute podcast. I'm just throwing it straight out there. It's not. <laughs> it's not happening. It, it, it is my understanding that Neil McCauley survives at the end of the heat prequel. <laughs> Yes, yes, we know that. We know that. Spoilers. We know that. We know, we know that. We know Treyas. We know they're all alive. Yeah, they're I, all alive. I wonder if Wayne grows in there. I gotta wonder. I gotta wonder. Yeah. Well, he, you know, according to him, he and Neil took down some major, major scores. scores. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this has been another amazing episode of One Heat Minute. Thanks to my incredible guest, Bill Gatterberry. Bill, um, thank you so much. Twitter's still the best place to find you, sir, because you're freelancing all over the place, I still see. So is that is that right, Twitter, um, to yeah, find you good self? I will share my stuff on Twitter all the time, so that's probably the best place to find me. But, you know, most of my stuff these days are for uh, Vulture and New York Magazine, but 
you know, follow me on Twitter and you will you will get you know relentless reminders of all the things I write. <laughs> I love that. Relentless reminders. And from us too, um, here at Blake is Batman on Twitter, you'll definitely find that as well. Guys, it's been another amazing episode of One Minute. Thank you again. Um, thank you for all of your support and encouragement and your retweets and your sharing. Um, uh, without sharing it around to people like Bill Gurr, he wouldn't have been a guest on the show and now he's been twice. Thank you, sir, so much for coming back again. Yep. Um, before the show's done, again, I will probably reach out and pester you for one of the final, maybe even a credits episode so we can talk anything else that we've missed. Um, I'm um, happy but, to do it. <laughs> oh, awesome. Um, and guys, oneheatminute.com. You can find everything you need to find out about the show there, including our website uh, email address, which is mail at oneheatminute.com. Lots of great stories coming in um, about all different things. I've even got an email today from an upcoming guest that he had an interview with a robbery homicide division cop for a bit of research he was doing, and inside that cop's office was a poster of Heat. I'll let him tell the story. Um, so good that the guys in robbery, robbery homicide are stoked that uh, Heat exists. Um, but uh, some good stuff coming there. Uh, Thank you to Garth Franklin for our web design, Paul Davies for our theme as always, and uh, we'll catch you on another episode of One Heat Minute just around the corner unless something catastrophic happens like to all of our characters in this show. <laughs>